Okay. There's nothing tricky about these questions at all. <laughs> I think I got my name right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one. By his death, Christ paid a ransom to Satan to purchase back the souls of sinful men. False. false. Okay. So what's false about it? Right. It's the it's the Satan part that becomes the problem here. There is a ransom paid for the souls of men, but it's not paid to Satan. And in fact, we're going to actually talk about that tonight. It's not really paid to anyone per se. It's a bondage to sin from which we're released, redeemed. So it's it's so so think probably more in terms of. Redemption and ransom, both terms are used, but don't, don't imagine that you have to have some brute literality that somebody has to get the price. Uh, but it's a, it's a, he, he paid the awful price of sin, but it wasn't to Satan. So that becomes false for that reason. Secondly, by his death, Christ secured ultimate victory over Satan and the power of sin. I put true. I put true, but I'm not sure. I put false. <laughs> Well, the word ultimate, I think, sort of puts you over the edge. Um, there is a sense in which the death of Christ, while not being its primary purpose, does conquer the power of sin, does crush the head of Satan. Um, again, the, the, what we're, what the concern is, is with liberation-type theologies that say that the reason that Christ died on the cross is to give us hope that we're going to have victory in this life that that's 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 a, m- a misunderstanding of what Christ was trying to do but there is a sense in which this is true as it stands at least so so what's the answer true <laughs> it's true yeah, okay. the answer is redacted yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. redact ultimate yeah. that's why I was gonna, I'm not answering these yeah. <laughs> there's some little words <laughs> Thirdly, by his life and death, Christ left us a moral example of how we ought to live, and if necessary, how to die. I put true. <laughs> true. I put. I mean, I put false because I thought they were. You know, that was the main purpose. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not the main purpose. Uh, that, that's true. If 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 we think that all yeah. Christ did was to give us is is to give us a moral example, right. then that would be false. But the fact is, he gave us an example so that we might follow in his steps, which is what Peter says. So there's a sense in which, I mean, we talk about sanctification as growing in Christ-likeness. So there's a sense in which there is a moral example here. Taking up this cross. Right, yeah. So so it's true as it stands, what... What I, I but the tricky part of this was it, that's not the main purpose. That's not the primary purpose of the atonement, but it is something that happened. Okay. By his death, Christ satisfied the wrath of a, a God made angry due to sin. I put true. I put true with reservations about the word because <laughs> I don't know if he was sin is an affront to God's moral character mm-hmm. so whether or not it made him angry okay yeah I mean Psalm 11 says he's, he's angry with the wicked every day okay so it does so you know, they're under the wrath of God I mean it's not the same word as anger but okay. effective a synonym so so yeah I, I 
So the answer is true. Um, again, out there in the big bad world, you talk to people, they don't like to think in, of God in terms of angry or or punishing. Uh, but if we if we pull that out of our presentation or pull that out of the atonement, then 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 we we're, we're really shortchanging what happens on the cross. Because what we're saved from is the wrath of God. It's, exactly. It's not we're saved from Satan getting us. I mean, right. Exactly. <clears throat> Very good. Okay. Fifth, uh, by his death, Christ substituted his life and death for sinners. False. True. Why do you say it's false? Substituted his life. By his death, Christ substituted his life and death for sinners. Substituted his life. That's what. You know, it, and that's, so that's, you know, we haven't, we haven't gotten to a full discussion of that, but it's not just a substitution whereby he took the wrath, but also, you know, that, that, that great exchange. We, ex, well, the exchange was our liability for his righteousness. And so his life, his righteous life, is the righteousness that is not our own. You know, Philippians 3, 8 and 9 talks about, Paul says, I want to know him and to be known by him, um, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that is from Jesus Christ. So his life of righteousness is credited to us just as our liability is credited to him. So it is it is a both and. It's both his life and his death are substituted for ours. Okay. I that's what uh, uh, I didn't quite uh, read yeah. the question that way. Well, may, maybe I com- confused by saying in his death. I mean, by his life and death, he substituted his life and death for ours. Perhaps I, I could have qualified that because yeah. in a sense you're right. Technically, I, by not including that, I, can I, I, get, can I have just a half off on that one? <laughs> That's what you were thinking. I'll give you Okay, number six. Define guilt, firstly. I said it's a ju- judicial consequence of sin or for sin. Okay. Anything more? I think we, we put it in the notes as a liability to punishment. So it's a, a legal liability to punishment. So what's the resolution of that? Expiation. What was the word? Expiation. Expiation, yes. Expiation. You could probably put the word pardon in there if that... You put that a penal helps. substitution. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, that works. But, uh, yeah, I think we, 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 we went into... Uh, the the four categories of the atonement. What what oh. needs to happen to guilt? Well, there's this pack of words that means to remove, to purge, to pardon, to exonerate. To uh, so all of those those are terms that are used in scripture. We we used expiation as the primary one, but you got the idea of the penal aspect. That's really you know remove the penalty. So. So yeah, I'll, I can live with that. Expiation was the word in the notes. I'll take half. <laughs> no, I'll give you full credit. <laughs> okay. 
We good with that? Is that? It's running. Okay, so we got my notebook tonight, so we're working off the computer. So I think I don't think it'll make any difference, but but confess my sin here. So we're on page sixty-two, I believe. We're working through the categories of atonement here. So having established that we are looking at a Godward view of the atonement as the principal function of atonement to do something relative to God rather than specifically relative to us or relative to Satan. Uh, Even though those things are elements of what are going on primarily, uh, the concern is uh, something that is wrong between us and God. And, And we said there's really four elements of the problem that exists between us and God. First, there's guilt. We are we are liable to punishment in God's divine order. Okay, and so for that reason, we need to have some sort of release from that guilt, and that release uh, it takes the form of expiation or a pardon. So the legal liability has to be addressed, and it's addressed with. Uh, a purging, a purifying, a removal, lifting away, pardoning, blotting out of the guilt uh, that we have. And that's accomplished through uh, the, the sacrifice of Christ. It's a guilt offering. Second element in that problem we have that, that exists between us and God is the problem of bondage. Uh, which is met then with an- another couple of terms here uh, that we raised already, and the first one here is redemption, and the other is ransom. Okay, So we find here the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. In him we have redemption through his blood. Both of these terms imply the payment of a great price. Okay, So ransom and redemption uh, are, are, are market terms. Okay, So we're so firstly, we had a legal liability. Now we have an enslavement problem. Okay, and so the uh, so in order for us to be right with God, we have to be purchased out of this bondage, this slavery that we have. And so the the, the terms are, are very very rich here. To redeem is to buy out of slavery by the payment of a ransom price. Now we usually think of redeeming as more connected with slavery and. Ransom more associated with, I suppose, kidnapping, but in, in many ways they're they're very closely related to one another. So to release by payment what has been lost. So it's a deliverance at great cost. Uh, apart from the payment of life, all men live in bondage. Firstly, bondage to the Old Testament law to to keep its terms, which are impossible to keep. Uh, a bondage to sin. Uh, uh, we haven't gotten to the doctrine of sin here, but uh, that's uh, next semester, I guess. Uh, but uh, if uh, our bondage to sin is such that we cannot but sin, uh, Latin term, non passe, non peccare, it's impossible for us not to sin. It's one of the fourfold states of men, uh, and that's what, how we describe total depravity. Um, and so we're in bondage to sin, which is a 
you know, a, a line that you find routinely. And you're, and, and, and we were in, in bondage to an inability to do any good thing. So, uh, an inability to extricate ourselves from the problem that we have. We are enslaved. We cannot muster up what's necessary. We can't come up with the cash necessary uh, to buy our freedom. It's, just, it's not there. So the vocabulary set, I say, is a rich one here. I know that my Redeemer lives. This is the term Goel. It's the one that's used in Ruth. Remember? Uh, she she needed some sort of relief. She didn't have any food. She didn't have any land. She didn't have a man, and she didn't have any prospects. And so she was in a, in a sort of in just a desperate spot. She, you know, Naomi was, you know, ready to say, you know, I'll just I'll just eat my last meal and we'll we'll say our goodbyes and I'll die. You know. It's, I mean, it was a hopeless situation, and yet they, they they were able to discover a Goel, okay, this this kinsman redeemer, uh, this who's uh, Boaz, who is who is who is eligible to redeem and seems to be willing, and you see this the sense of excitement and hopefulness growing, and and finally it it, it culminates in the fact that this redeemer was willing. <laughs> And, and there's just this sense of relief here. And, and that's the same term that Job uses here in Job 19. I know my Redeemer lives. And that's the sense here. Uh, Job 33:24. Spare him from going down to the pit, for I have found a ransom price for him. In fact, the, the word here translated ransom is actually a Hebrew, a very literal Hebrew word that means the cost of a life. Okay. The cost of the life has been found, um, and uh, it's it's used elsewhere of a a, a a census tax. Okay, the the cost of a person. So, if you if you if a census was taken, everyone would bring a shekel. This was this was called the cost of a person. In, in order to be counted as a person, to be regarded as a human, <laughs> uh, that that was the cost of personhood, and so uh, there was. The, the idea here is someone's been put into a pit to be held there until he can be sold into slavery like Joseph. Uh, but uh, the, the proceedings are stopped because, hey, a, the cost of a life has been found. Okay. Uh, Psalm 130, he will redeem Israel from all her iniquities. Christ came to give his life a ransom for many. The Lord bought the church with his own blood. So again, this marketplace term. Christ has become for us our redemption. Gave himself a ransom for all men. By his blood he obtained eternal redemption. It's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down to you. This, this vacuous life of slavery that was just generation after generation in some cases but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ a lamb without blemish or defect okay with your blood you purchased agarazzo in fact if you, if you even, even today if you want to uh, 
talk about a Greek marketplace. It's called the Agora. Okay, so if you go to Greece, where's the marketplace? Where's the Agora? They'll tell you. Uh, so with your blood, you you purchased men from God for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Okay, so so this this whole idea of a purchase being made, and then then of course this question comes up. We sort of already sort of answered that already, but who's who's the ransom price paid to? Uh, we said earlier it's not Satan. Satan doesn't own anybody. Um, it's not as though that he is the the that he has somehow gained possession of all those who have sinned. It's that's that that gives too much to Satan. Satan doesn't own anything. God owns everybody. Um, so what is the bondage to, and who to whom is the bondage paid? Well, we've said it's not Satan, but who is it then? Well, it's probable, I say, that second paragraph, is that the use of ransom terminology simply points metaphorically to the great cost of freeing men from their obligation to die, from their debt, from their bondage. It wasn't paid to anyone per se, although we do have the language of the Father accepting Christ's sacrifice. So if I'm if, if I have to name somebody as the recipient of the payment price, then it would be God. But uh, I'm not sure that it's really necessary to name the person who receives the price per se. Just thinking of, um, you know, our sin is storing up wrath against us from God. So, I mean, it seemed to me that, you know, I mean, if there was somebody, it would be God that would get the Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's within the government of God that the price has to be paid. Um, although, yeah, it's, it, I mean, if you think about the sacrifices were made, who 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 received them? Well, God God smelled them and was pleased, but uh, you know, they burnt. <laughs> they were they were the, the the cost was just sort of dissipated you know the, the, I mean, they, yeah, I don't know how much a sheep is worth but they bring the sheep burn it up and so so nobody really received it it was just a uh, it was just emblematic of the fact that sin costs so it's not so much anybody that received the price it was an aroma to God but that that's not quite the same as him receiving the price per se okay your point then, Rich, of the wrath of God is our next category here, and this is perhaps the one that is uh, that is most uh, people look most askance at if you if you talk to people in the street. This is the thing they don't like. They don't like the fact that God is an angry God, and it actually has it has filtered in to some degree into the translation process. Uh, that you know during the translation process the words that are used are so strong that there are some translations that hesitate to translate the key words or or translate them s- softly and uh, it, it's actually kind of an interesting phenomenon but let's let's see if we can walk through it because god is perfectly holy God is righteously and continually angry at sinners. Now, I suppose you could have 
object perhaps to the word angry because it perhaps sounds like he's just out of control yelling um, because that's how we get angry. Um, but uh, but I still think that the word works because it's used in in, in scripture here. You know, sinners in the hands of the angry God, right? It's the it's a it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So it's obviously a term that's that can be used. It's in Hebrews. So because of he's angry, uh, there has to be uh, a, a, the the wrath has to be extinguished. It has to be assuaged in some way. There has has to be a satisfaction of the wrath of God. And the word propitiation is the word that that is. You know, used in the English language to to uh, to speak to that idea of the assuaging of the wrath of God, and we'll come to it in a minute here. But in in the NIV, um, I love the NIV. That's my my go to translation. But one thing I don't particularly like is the way they translate the word propitiation. Uh, that is uh, that is that is used here multiple places. In the New Testament, uh, Helasco, Helaskos, and Helaskamai, and such, um, and, and and the NIV translates this as the atoning sacrifice. Sort of softens the the meaning of the word. The the meaning is the the, the quenching of the wrath of God, uh, but that's that seems a little harsh, I think. And so the atoning sacrifice is how it's translated in the NIV, and I find that a little bit unfortunate. Because uh, I, I think we should we should strengthen that word to mean all that it intends uh, in the uh, in its in its uh, in its lexical meaning. Quick question: When mm-hmm. we say that God is continually angry, mm-hmm. yeah, He abides under the wrath of God. John three thirty six. Yeah. That's that's so that's what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there it is. John three thirty six. Qualify that and say it. it Eternally angry against the unregenerate, right? Yes, the sinner, the the, the unregenerate. That's what I mean by this. By this, because when God looks at us, He sees Christ. Right. Yeah. So when I say the sinner, what I mean is the unregenerate. Man. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. Sure oh, you do say it's angry at sinners. Okay. Right. Well, we're sinners too. <laughs> yeah. Right, but we're not sinners by we're not sinners as our. The, the primary feature of our nature. Um, it, it, there's a, yeah, um, you know, you know in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, they're, they're in the, the, the following shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, he lists blasphemers, homosexuals, and murderers, and a number of, of particularly heinous sins. And he lists all these and says, these people will not receive the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you have been sanctified. You have been regenerated. You've been justified. With the implication that you're no longer classified. Even if you murdered in your past life, you're no longer classed as a murderer. You're a regenerate person. You're a new man. Okay? And and you're no longer gay. That's what. That's why I, I do have a hesitation with the the, the with the uh, the idea sometimes that people uh, are are gay Christians. I understand what is meant that the sin they struggle with 
is same-sex attraction. Okay, I, I understand what they're saying here, but that's not a... That's it's. I think it's an incorrect thing to talk about a gay Christian, but particularly if you mean by that 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 can't be helped, and that's the way it is. Okay, um, you know, I, I might, I might be, a, I might, you know, I never had any gay interests in my life. Uh, thank God for that. Uh, but uh, you know, I might have adulterous interests in somebody else's wife, okay? Do I call myself an adulterous Christian then? Well, well I think we can call ourselves a lot of things. Yeah, no, but we yeah. but we wouldn't we wouldn't call ourselves an adulterous Christian. We would say I'm a Christian who struggles with temptations to lust after other men's wives. Okay? But I'm not an adulterous Christian. I'm not an adulterer anymore. Such were some of you, but you're not anymore. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified, and so you are no longer in that part of that classification. And in fact, if you still have those tendencies, if you still have those orientations, those temptations that, that you struggle with, they're the object of mortification. Not just the acts, but the inclinations. It doesn't matter whether you were born with them or not. I'm 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 still not completely decided whether people can be born gay or not. It's possible. It may it may be. It may not be. But the fact is, it doesn't really matter because yeah, we're all born with a bent to sin. And what's what's the goal of sanctification? To exterminate that to to the degree of hands. Sorry, I didn't turn off my phone. Uh, And so, so so that's why I say that's why I say we are sinners. But that's not the primary disposition of our lives. Redeemed and we're Christians, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to Unredeemed. Yeah, I've tried to think through that almost, you know, homosexuality, uh, because you know when you look at it in Scripture, it is a perverseness. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know, I'm sure there's many roads to it. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that because of the fall. That you can um, you can have you know homosexual you know feelings or your bent towards sure. that. In fact, I heard a guy on the radio yesterday, and um, he battles with that. I mean, he's a believer. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, it's it's a it's a tough battle, but the Lord has been able to you know deliver him from that. We had some guy here from Pure mm-hmm. Pure Life Ministries, mm-hmm. and um, uh, he struggled with it as well. So it is, I believe, a part of the fall. I believe that you can get through it through perversion, or you know, it's constantly a ramping up of, you know, uh, unbridled sexual desire. That I believe that you know men can get to it, you know, from that point as well. But from that verse, though, or do you believe that? I mean, if somebody is gay, okay. And they're saying, "Hey, look, I, you know, I've trusted in Christ." It's just the way I am. In fact, my wife, uh, she goes to uh, a nail salon, and the owners there, two females, they're gay. But my, she talks, Tracy talks about Christ and salvation all the time, and uh, this lady, she she agrees with. It. She says, she she believes that only by the blood of Christ. Uh, so she has a 
you know, a background her father, she went to a Baptist church when she was younger than that. So do you believe that even if, because you do practice homosexuality, that that would negate you from, well, in, in, in all cases? Well, I, I think the idea is if you are a an, an unrepentant, you know, you know, impassive homosexual, no, you won't receive, you, you, you can't be a Christian. Uh, and, and I think that's true of all sins. No, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll put it out here. The sin I struggled with when I was in my youth was stealing. I, I made an art out of it. I was really good at it. You know, I, I could, I could steal all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, but, but if I came in here, but if I came in here and say, you know, I'm, I'm a kleptomaniac Christian, I can't, can't help it. Yeah. yeah, you would say, well, no, you, you, you've got to, you, you got to fight against that, buddy. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it's not just, and I say, well, I don't actually, I don't actually commit the act anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't steal people's stuff, uh, but. But I, but I'm a kleptomaniac at heart. Well, well, what does what does what does the Bible say about that? You know, Matthew five twenty seven and twenty eight. The law says you can't commit adultery. I say unto you, if you're lusting after another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Now, it's not as bad of a sin to lust after a woman as it is to lust and fornicate with the woman. Okay. Nonetheless, it's still a sin to, to to think those thoughts, and so the process of mortification is not just stopping the act. It's putting to death. But 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 putting to death not only the, the the act of the sin, but also the disposition to the sin. Now you don't conquer all sin in your lifetime. That's perfection doesn't happen until you. But I'd like to think that. You know, over the course of thirty years, the the interest that I have, you know, if I see something, mine, that that was just instant when I was a kid. You know, it's like that watch; it's going to be in my pocket before this night's <laughs> over, and, and and it would be. You know, I I don't think quite in those terms anymore. I, I suppose there's occasional thoughts like. Why did he leave that there? <laughs> He's a very trusting person, you know. <laughs> but 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 I think if we if we if I would say that I'm a I'm a kleptomaniac Christian, that's just the way I am. God, you know, God made me kleptomaniac, and I was born that way. That's what I am. You would you would be looking at me like, no, you've got to fight against that. And the same thing I would say with a with with someone who was. Homosexual, he, you know, he he might have even from birth these homosexual tendencies, but that doesn't say, okay, well, that's the way you are. Okay, that's just the way it is. Well, no, you you got to fight against that, and 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 so so the idea that you can't help that, you just have to stop doing homosexual acts, but there's nothing more that can be done. I think is incorrect. You can not yeah, no, I, I, yeah, and I'm not. I'm right. not I, I understand what you're saying, and I, you know, I totally agree. Well, it's in the word of God, so right. <laughs> we gotta believe it. But um, I mean, it's we all battled with, like you said, you battled. You know, with your, we all have besetting sins. You know, that are that are difficult to 
to battle. Okay, so to what degree um, this lady battles, you know, being gay, I don't know. In fact, I'd love for my wife to have this conversation with her yeah. at some point, and she's kind of building up to it. It's kind of hard in front sure. of me. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey, uh, you know, tell me, explain this to me. This yeah. is a, reconcile this for me, you know, the Word of God and, and the way you live your life. So, um, anyway, I just yeah. thought I'd, I would ask that because, um, and with being a believer, if we continue to sin, I mean, God's, he's holy. He's not just going to let us continue to sin. I mean, he's going to discipline us and, yeah, you know, it could come to a point where, you know, I think he I, calls us home. Yeah. And yeah. You, you could send the sin unto death, first Corinthians yeah. 11, or, you know, of course, first, the, the burden of first John is, you know, the, 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 the man who's born of God, and he actually makes some rather strong words, does not sin. I think the point is he doesn't, Sin with reckless abandon and without right. without conscience. Right. He does sin, but when he does sin, he confesses his sin, and 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 the the feelings of guilt overwhelm him. Uh, and if you can if you can sin without twinges of guilt or conscience, right. yeah. then I think John would say, well, then you have reason to question your own no, no question. your own yeah. salvation. So, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, to go back, that sin unto death. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Then? Yeah, I understand that that sin unto death, and it's illustrated there in First Corinthians eleven, is that if you engage in sin and you are truly a believer, and you start to, and, and you get to the point where you're sinning, and the conscience just doesn't seem to be affecting you anymore that you can actually be taken from this life. I understand that to be an act of mercy. Yeah. Lest you become that person who sins mm. wantonly. Yeah. God actually takes you. You know, for this, for this reason, many of you are sick and weak, mm. and some of you are even dead. Mm. Because you've committed a sin, and you've, you've committed it routinely over and again. I, I mean, I, I still have this story. I, I, I had this uh, mentor of mine. He was in the, uh, in the, he was he was actually my my music director, and I was I had I had music interests when I was in college, and for three years he was my uh, he was my uh, my my choir director. Really helped me and my wife along in. In our spiritual walk, you know, and as as a as a developing couple, very seemed to be a very godly person. Uh, learned a lot from him, and then we were startled one day to find that he had left his wife just like suddenly. Um, he didn't actually go after another girl, but uh, uh, it was a conversation online with another woman who was basically telling him. You can have more than being a, a a music director at F. Podunk Bible College in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. You've got you've got a ton of talent. You could do more with your life. And so he 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 believes this. Took the hook and took the hook. Now he didn't he didn't end up with the woman, but but he but he but he but he took her 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 advice to heart and left his wife and 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 I remember I, I contacted him and. Yeah, it seems a little strange because I mean here, here I am a 22 year old contacting a 47 year old mm. and, and you know confronting him and 
goes on for a year. I mean, he just shows no hint of remorse. And I remember I talked to my wife that day. I said, you know, I'm going to pray that because I, I want him so badly to be a believer. I'm going to pray that if he is a believer, that God will take him, that 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 God will show this mercy and not let him continue in this. And that night, we get a call. He's 47, my age right now. He had a massive heart attack and died instantly. And I know it's like... That was weird. <laughs> I mean, I, that was it was a, it was a, it was actually a frightening moment for me, but it was a but it was an interesting so, mm-hmm. sin unto death. Mm-hmm. I've had uh, individuals in my life too that I that passed passed on earlier, and I I mean you know you, you never know you know, never know. Yeah, you know but I just you know I wondered. Yeah. That was but that's not to be confused with the unpardonable sin. No, correct. Yeah, sin unto death and the unpardonable sin are different. Sin, the yeah, yeah, the unpardonable sin is that you know attributing to Satan the works of God. Okay, that's that's that was a that was an aside, or a long aside. Okay, so God is angry with sinners. And what I mean there is unregenerate. <laughs> sorry, sorry, we got us got us back up here a little bit. Now we have to meet another week. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so so why so so what does this wrath look like? Well, I say firstly, it's pecuniary. It requires a payment, but it's also penal. So it's not just that there's a requirement of a payment, but it's also a requirement of a life. Okay. And and so this 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 wrath needs to be satisfied, swaged before grace can be dispensed. This is the ethical basis of the atonement. Okay, God cannot extend His grace without the wrath being satisfied. Okay, so uh, that's and this is this is this is really the heart of what's going on here in atonement. Here, the wrath is being satisfied. So that grace may be extended, because God cannot look with favor on the wicked. What has to happen? They the 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 wrath has to be assuaged against the wicked before His grace can be extended. Divine wrath, I say here, is the is the overlooked element in, in almost every theory of atonement, other than penal substitution. This is this is the this is the critical ingredient that you don't have that. You don't get atonement. Okay, it's one that's relentlessly maligned as cosmic child abuse. Sometimes I don't know if you ever heard that that line ever shows up in your in your in your world here. Sometimes on radios, you know, God is guilty of cosmic child abuse because He kills His son. What what kind of a God is that? Uh, well. This is this is it's 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 necessary into God's divine order because He is a righteous and holy God. Modernism and postmodernism agree to reject the idea of divine wrath simply because they don't like it, and replace God's intrinsic ethical standards with standards that are more to our liking. Now, I I just don't like the idea of an angry God. There's 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 actually no warrant for deciding that God shouldn't be angry. It's just that I I prefer a God that isn't angry. Okay, there was a just heard a debate between a fellow by the name of Tomash. Uh, he's a he's a, a pagan Jew, and uh, he was debating with Greg Bonson, who was a who's a Christian apologist, uh, 
and um, they had a debate, and Tabash is just making a mockery of Christianity because uh, uh, because God has a barbecue pit for for people who don't pray right. I think what he meant there, he's got this barbecue pit for those who don't pray in Jesus' name because he's a Jew, right? Uh, so, so, so he, he and so he's just he's just making a mockery of this God, and every there it's a, it's a public forum, a debate, and and there's a crowd there, and they're just yucking it up, applauding, and then and then uh, Bonson gets up and says, so so. so uh, let me let me let me ask you what what's your warrant for saying God isn't an angry God? He says you don't like this God simply because you don't like it. That's the only warrant you have. There, there's no warrant other than that. I don't like this kind of a God, and all of us don't like this kind of a God, and so therefore God isn't that way. He says that's no argument, and and it was it was it was really sort of an interesting thing to sort of sort of sway in the in the audience because they're like, yeah, that's right. Logically, that guy's argument, even though I liked his argument, really had no, you know, had had no warrant in it. There was nothing nothing logical about what he said. But to deny that God, but to to deny that God is angry, that God is a God of righteous, holy wrath is to deny his very nature and to replace him with a God of our own choosing, which is, by definition, what idolatry is. Replacing the God who is with a God I prefer. Without the wrath of God, all that is good and holy in God is lost. And atonement is gutted of its whole ethical basis. Lose this, and you lose Christianity. Now, you don't just lose the atonement. You lose Christianity. And this is where the battle lies. And the theological term, like I said, for the appeasement, assuaging, satisfaction of the wrath of God is propitiation here. By absorbing in himself the whole wrath of God against sin, Jesus quenched God's righteous anger, making love possible. This, I mean, that's, yeah, I, mean, I put down 1 John 4.10, but we can put John 3.16 down there. So I think it's a, it's a key verse here that, uh, that we can, uh, God loved the world in this way. God so loved the world. Okay, so the, the idea is not that God loved the world so much, but God loved the world in this way, that he died, so that those who believe might have eternal life. Okay? That's that's the nature of the love of God. It goes to it 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 it, it releases people from being under the wrath of God by absorbing the wrath in himself so that those who believe might have eternal life. Okay? Uh, it's illustrated in the Old Testament. The term kafar, which we started looking at last week, last week often carries this idea, but the, the, the concept is communicated more by illustration than by word in the Old Testament. You actually have these pictures of atonement that are very graphic and I think are very helpful to us. Uh, number 16, uh, 14, uh, 46 to 48, um, uh, because of the murmuring of the people, the grumbling of the people, God becomes fed up with it at a certain point and, um, and a plague starts in the, in the community. And Moses and Aaron are, are, uh, dis- distraught here. 
And and so Moses tells Aaron, take your censer, this implement that is used in the uh, the altar, put incense in it, along with fire from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Because wrath has come out from the Lord, and a plague has started. And so Aaron offered incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Okay? So it's, you, know, you almost get this idea of almost like a talisman in his hand. You know, he's, he comes out with this, this, this sacrifice from the altar and, and, and says, can this assuage your wrath? Wrath has gone out. And so how do we stop the wrath of God? And he stood between the living and the dead. I mean, it's a very graphic picture here. And, and, and the wrath was assuaged. The plague stopped. Okay, that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. He stands between the living and the dead and, and, and absorbs the wrath of God so that, uh, so that uh, there might be life. In this situation, there was no repentance. No, no. I, I, again, it, the, the analogy doesn't hold up at every at every level, um, but the but the illustration of what propitiation is, I think, becomes rather graphic in this in, that, in this. Exodus thirty two. As is after the uh, golden calf event and the subsequent slaughter of three thousand Israelites, Moses said to the people, "You have committed a great sin." But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. And then Moses goes to the top of the mountain and offers his own life. You know, please don't kill your people. Kill me instead. It, it, and, and the idea here is if you can just, you know, concentrate your wrath upon me, kill me, but let everyone else live. Okay, so that's, that's, that's the offer that he makes. He says, please forgive their sins. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Divert your wrath to me. Now, the the offer, it seems, is that which assuages the wrath of God. He doesn't actually kill Moses. He doesn't actually divert his wrath on the person of Moses. Uh, But the the appeal, the the desperate appeal, in faithful appeal, uh, results in, again, the death stopping. So God rejects the offer, but the gesture is illustrative. Numbers 25. Uh, here's, here's where the Israelites engage in Baal worship and invite a foreigner into the tent of meeting, the, the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle. Um, and probably, it doesn't actually say as much, but perhaps to have a ritual intercourse. It, it Just because of just because of how the story unfolds here. Okay. Um, the Lord says to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them, expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that his fierce anger may be turned away from Israel. Okay, God's 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 wrath is kindled against all of Israel, but you can assuage the wrath of God by taking the the actual perpetrators and killing them. Okay, and that if, if you do that, then my wrath against the rest of the people will be softened. Uh, and so after 24,000 people die, Phineas takes action to put the sin of the people to a violent end. Remember, he goes in there, and, and this foreigner is there with a woman, and they're together, and he takes this spear and runs them both through, right? 
So again, probably again this this probably ritual ritual sex that's going on here in the temple, and Phineas you know runs them through, kills them both with a single spear stroke here, um, and this is what the Lord says: Phineas the son of Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest has turned my anger away from the Israelites and made atonement, made propitiation for the the Israelites. Okay. I bet you at the end of life, Moses was ready to go. (laughs) I mean, he he has some very difficult situations to try to navigate. But we're grateful for it because we get some fabulous illustrations of what it means to to propitiate the wrath of God. I mean, you you know, this is stuff movies is made out, right? (laughs) Yeah, I saw a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Not with you, Brian. Yeah, was it you, Brian? Charlton is. Oh, yeah. 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 Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah stood before the Lord and spoke in their behalf to turn away his wrath from them. Okay, so this is his work as a priest. Uh, New Testament idea is more... It, it, it tends to it tends to have the more the academic... Rather than pictures, it gives us words here. Uh, so in the New Testament, this this idea of propitiation receives its own word, uh, halasmos, which is translated in the NASB, for instance, as propitiation. That may not be the best thing to do either, because people don't use propitiation in their everyday uh, walk. But but if you if you look it up in the Greek lexicon, the words are to conciliate, to appease, and to eliminate impediments that alienate an, a deity. BDAG is written by uh, by people who are not necessarily Christians. They're just they're just talking about general usage of the Greek language. And so, I think if you look in the Greek Greek lexicon, the Greek dictionary, you actually find some re- some very helpful uh, uh, words here that are that are understood to be the meaning of this word. It's not just an atoning sacrifice. It's a conciliation, a propitiation, an appeasement, an elimination of impediments that alienate deity. The word group and its meaning are well attested in the literature and shouldn't be reduced to translation as atoning sacrifice. And so we can can look at actually these four, the the only four uses of propitiation in the New Testament so we can see them all. Uh, Romans three twenty five and twenty six, uh, God presented Christ as a propitiation, satisfaction of divine wrath through faith in His blood, because in His restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. So again, it's it's not that He ignored them, but He didn't judge those who had committed them because there was something standing between Him and that and 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 that action. And that's the propitiatory work of God. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he could be righteous and also declare righteous those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Note note, note the point here. God has to remain righteous. because God is a holy God and he cannot look with favor upon sin. Okay, So he's got to be righteous. that's, That's number one. So how is he going to declare someone who is not righteous, righteous? Well, only by here, uh, by, by 
um, demonstrating his righteousness against Jesus Christ. Only only by, by doing that could he be himself righteous and also declare us righteous. This is the only way it could have been. Okay, so you, you see here. Okay, so there's a little explanation here. Sinners who continue sinning despite their clear apprehension of God's holy nature, the justly capital nature of their sin, and the impending righteous wrath of God cannot find propitiation in the works of the law, but only in the propitiatory work of Christ. That's the that's you know that's that's the whole argument of Romans. You know, people are under the wrath of God and they know it. So what's the solution? Well, there has to be a propitiation. That there has to be you have to take care of the wrath. You can't just ignore you can't just you know, God just calm down. Don't don't be so angry. Just let, let it go. No, no, no. God doesn't let it go. It has the, the 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 wrath has to be spent. It has to be it has to go somewhere. It either has to go against the sinner himself or some duly appointed substitute for him. That's the only they're the only options. He can't just ignore it. Okay, so it's a demonstration that God is righteous. Uh, Hebrews two fourteen to seventeen is the second usage of propitiation in the scriptures, New Testament scriptures through Christ's death. Christ became a merciful and high priest in service to God and made propitiation for the sins of the people. And the context, again, this is rather a famous one, how can we escape? Yeah, every Since every transgression and disobedience receives a just punishment, verse 2 says, how, will, how can we escape? Well, the only escape here is given in Hebrews 2. There has to, two, there has to be uh, a propitiation made uh, for the sins of the people. First John 2, Christ the righteous one is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, for the sins of the whole world. Okay, So the appeasement of wrath is not as evident perhaps in this context. You don't see the, the anger so much. Uh, but it's not absent either. We need an advocate who bled and died, chapter 1 says, so that we could avoid the consequences of sin. Okay, so it's perhaps a little softer there in that passage, but I think it's, it's still there. First John 4.10, we referenced this earlier, love consists of this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent son, this his son to be the propitiation for our wrath. And again, the concept of wrath is subtle, but it's there. We need Christ's sacrifice to live with the implication that without the sacrifice of Christ, we die. Okay, so it's a little bit it's a little bit more latent there, but the idea here is there has to be some sort of satisfaction of the wrath of God in order for grace to be extended. Okay, so thoughts on that? Again, that's the I think this really becomes the that's that's this is sort of the heart, the hub of this this whole thing. This is the point, this is the watershed point. This is this is the this is the one that most of the people you talk to uh giving the gospel to this is where they stumble they don't like this idea of an angry god and yet if you try and soften it to make him just a god of love you you really gut god of who he is a holy and righteous god and this is a theodicy right how is it that god's going to stay righteous so it's watered down the gospel too. right yeah yeah okay fourth point then Enmity. 
or alienation is a problem that we have, and it's met with reconciliation. Okay. So we start by saying that sin produces an estrangement or a hostility between God and men. So that's the enmity, alienation, estrangement, hostility, all of these words work. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have made him to hide his face from you. Okay, so mutual alienation. You hate God, God hates you. Romans 5.10, we were once God's enemies. Romans 11, they were the enemies of God. Remember at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from Israel, foreigners to the covenant, without hope, without God. Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 4.18, one of our key verses for uh, inability here. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God. And Colossians 1 actually uses this word, alienated. You were alienated from God and were his enemies. So these are very strong words as well. And it's a, it's a mutual enmity. There, there have been some over the years who've said, well, God... You know, the God is not an enemy of us. We're enemies of God. We need to be changed. But actually, the emphasis is actually... I mean, both, both aspects are true. We need to change. But God needs to change. And in fact, that seems to be the, the, the critical issue. God's, God's enmity with us needs to end. That's probably the more critical thing that we need than our enmity with God needs to end. Both are necessary. But it's God's enmity towards us that is disastrous for us. Okay, so that has to end. Okay, he needs to stop regarding us as as his enemies. Yeah, there was a um, there's a song in in our in our hymn book that we use. Arise, my soul, arise. You you familiar with that song? Um, the last verse is uh, My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. But when I was back in seminary about 25 years ago, uh, there was a there was a debate. No, God didn't. God can't be reconciled. God can't change. And so, so if you have a, one of those Majesty hymnals, they actually change the words to "I now am reconciled" um, because of this little tiff that went on. And it's 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 funny because that song actually has a number of weird lines in it. But that one's actually the the good one <laughs> and, and they took it out and actually softened it God God needs to be reconciled with us and we with him it's, but it's a mutual thing it's got to be both ways so reconciliation then is the theological term for the removal of hostility and po- more positively here the restoration of harmony goodwill, favor it also is the central idea in the concepts of peace Fellowship, fellowship, and forgiveness. All of these are tied with this idea of reconciliation. Now, there's a sense in which we can talk about a cosmic reconciliation where God reconciles the whole world uh, to himself as a result of the uh, redeeming work of, of Christ. Um, but really what we're, what we're looking at here is the redemptive uh, uh, conciliation. That's really what we're we're after in this point. We're not necessarily talking about that reconciliation. It's a topic of discussion. Nonetheless, that's not really what we're after. We're talking about the reconciliation of persons. 
to what they are supposed to be relative to God, not just the reconciliation of trees and rocks to the way they're supposed to be. Although that is a result of the uh, of the uh, of, of the atonement. Eventually, the trees clap their hands uh, because the trees are back to the way they were. You know, reading, reading that interesting thing about the, the that that uh, burning down the uh, no, the no. cathedral. And they were talking about how the how you know the roof burned, all the beams burned, but they don't know how they're going to replace them because there are no longer any trees that are big enough in all of France to to do that because they bought you know and I was like, like okay the trees are going to clap their hands one day one day because they get to get big again you know? so, so it, I don't know where that came from. It's going to give the tree huggers uh, something <laughs> to rally around. Well, the small trees are clapping their hands now because they're not going to get cut down. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, so we're not so much talking about this cosmic resolution, reconciliation here. We're talking about personal reconciliation. So in the Old Testament, the idea of reconciliation is most easily observed in the peace offerings and the fellowship meals that are embedded in the sacrificial system. And I, this is, this is one of the, the, the more neglected aspects of the sacrificial system. Um, the fellowship meal. This is the great celebration that took place after the sacrifices were offered. We tend to think of the sacrifice, you know, we talked about it last week, you know, just killing the animals, kill, 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 kill. Uh, you know, you, you think, oh, this, is a, this is a rather dismal place, a dismal thing to do. Could anybody be happy here? Yeah, afterwards there was a big meal. The priest was there, the whole family was there, they eat the food, and it was a grand a grand celebration. Why? It was called the it was called the the the, the piecemeal, okay, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the fellowship meal. The peace offering leads to the fellowship meal, which was a celebration that now we're right with the community and right with God. What a relief! What a what a what a pleasant thought that we have peace with God, and it, it was it was it was a great celebration. So emphasis is not so much on the removal of something, we, we, had, we saw that in propitiation, but rather the establishment of harmony through righteousness. Okay, And so we, are, we have been made right, and because we have been made right, now we have peace with God. And now we have harmony with God. Now we can share a meal with God. And, and I think all of that's illustrated, say, in the communion uh, a meal that we have. I mean, oftentimes these aspects are are you know we we you know we we, we home in on the on the uh, on the on the on rather narrowly on okay I've you know I've I've been made right with God but there, there's 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 a whole rich tapestry of what's going on there the community is the celebration so it's a it's a communion it's a it's a it's a celebration of community. Our communion with God and our and within our community—it's—it's it's supposed to be a celebratory uh, kind of, of of thing because we have peace with God. We we all all of us here have peace with God and are at harmony with one another uh, because of what Christ has done. And it's and it's it's a it's it's not necessarily supposed to be a morose and depressing time. Uh, granted, we do—it's a serious time. Where we want to make sure that when we come to the meal, that we are coming to, to the meal righteously. But the reason that we do the examination is so that when we come together righteously, 
we can have the, the relief and the pleasure and the joy of community. Uh, so, so there is, there should be that, that, I mean, there's, there's a whole montage of, 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 of affections that sort of attach themselves to the communion. But the, but the, but the point of it is, is the celebration of the harmony. And it should be, it should be a, a, a point of, of relief, of delight, uh, that these people that, that are all here today, all of us together are right with God. And we're brothers and sisters, and it's this is this is a good thing to do, yeah. So, so I think that that, that meal that we have as as Christians is emblematic of this as well, okay. And so we find these 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 descriptions here of the end times. The fruit of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. They will dwell together in safety. Uh, uh, Isaiah 53 he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds were healed again these, these soothing terms we have peace, healing we're better uh, the theme carries into the New Testament as well with a dedicated semantic group again the Catalasso word group here uh, since we have been justified, declared righteous, we have peace with God our, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were Christ's enemies. When we were Christ's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the, the death of his son. Now much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life. Not only this is so, but we rejoice in God, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. These are just, just, these are just very warm passages here. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled himself to Christ, through Christ, and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. We're, we're, we're extending peace to other people. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he's committed to us this wonderful privilege of extending this to others. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God has made his appeal through us. We implore you on God's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him to, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God and have peace. Ephesians 2. Remember at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship, foreigners to the covenants. Okay. Depressed. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made the two one, has destroyed the barrier, this dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross and putting to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. All these just, 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 just tumbling over with, with warmth there. 
Colossians 1, through Christ, God has reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood set on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and enmities, enemies in your mind because of evil behavior. But now, he's reconciled to you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his life. So again, you know, don't lose sight of the cost of this reconciliation. Christ was the means of the reconciliation so that we could be without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in the faith established and firm and not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Okay? I think we also have this whole idea of drawing near that we find in, in the scriptures, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. I think oftentimes we have this sort of mystical sense of that, you know, you know, well, you know, if, if if God draws near, then I'm going, I'm going to have little tingles, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm just, you know, the, the you know the the tears are going to drip out of my eyes because I just feel warm and fuzzy. There there may be a sense where those can be a result of peace, but don't think of peace as something that's communicated. You know, God draws near in the sense of approval and blessing that stem from our righteousness in Christ and our sanctified pursuit of holiness. So how, how is it that we have peace with God? We've been made righteous, and we pursue holiness. And these things promote then this, this, this communion, this drawing near. We draw near to God. How? By being holy. And God draws near to us because we are holy. It's not some, some sort of a thing you can sort of drum up and work up with with the right kind of music or something. Okay. That's 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 sort of a, a mystical approach, a ecstatic approach to, to peace. That's not that's not the peace of which we're talking. You draw near in holdings. And then God draws near, reciprocates by drawing near in blessing. Okay, so that's the idea. Do you believe though <clears throat> In intense suffering, or you, you, you learn a you know a loved one that's passed on that uh, mm-hmm. you know God gives you the peace that you know passes all understanding that right. He does comfort you during those times. Right, but again, it's 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 you not know, just some sort of a random thing that yeah, comes. There's yeah. there's, there's got to be something to affect it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not just an emotion. It, it is a drawing. You, you draw near. He draws near. How do you draw near? Uh, yeah, it's, it's not just because some people don't draw near in times like that, and they don't have peace. They push away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is this mutual idea coming together in reconciliation. So all of these things, then, if we can summarize that, are are, are what happened when Christ was on the cross. He purged away our guilt, removed our guilt. He satisfied the wrath of God against us. He effected reconciliation uh, uh, through through His sacrifice. Uh, I'm skipping one. Uh, and imputed uh, um, righteousness. Yeah, uh, he uh, he uh, he paid the paid the debt that was ours uh, because we were in bondage to sin. So, so th- those those are the Godward things that He does. Satisfies wrath in God's order. Satisfied, he pays to get us released from bondage, 
uh, he he reconciles the 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 the, the tense relationship that we once had with God and makes it a good relationship. He, he satisfies the wrath that God has against us. So what God is doing is primarily Godward in nature. And it, it's these things that, that give us our primary benefits uh, from the atoning work of Christ. The other, there are other, you know, ancillary things that occur because of Christ's death on the cross, but this is the primary thing. He does something uh, that 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 affects our relationship to God, not our relationship to others or our relationship to Satan. It, it's it's something that happens between us and God, and that's really where the uh, the the important aspect. And so, somebody asks you now, why did Christ die on the cross? Uh, I think we have a better answer, perhaps, than 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 we might have started with. Well, he, he died to do a bunch of things. Did he, did, he, did he die in order so that we could all be nice to each other? Well, okay, that might be an implication. That, that might be, you know, way down the line yet. Yes, it's sort of in an abstract sense, yes. But that, that's, not, that's not the primary thing that he was doing on the cross. This is what he was doing on the cross. And so hopefully that, that, that makes some, some good sense to you. Very good. Okay. Mm-hmm.